Welcome to the Ether. Today is Wednesday, November 16th, 2022. Today on the Ether, confess what you did. Hosted by Coach Joe Wrangler. Let's Joe a listen. Would anyone like to come up and speak? If you'd like to come up and speak, then say in three words why you're qualified to be allowed to be a speaker. I have to confess something. Okay. Go ahead. I I am guilty of shilling shitcoins. Well, I think everyone knows that. We we see that you try and hide behind graphs. You uh it's it's not a benign thing you do, Sefi. You buy IBM and then you post the IBM graph. You buy Luna and then you post the Luna graph. You buy Link and then you post the Link graph. Everyone knows what you're up to. You're using your influence. Correct. By the way, um, TFL keep messaging me. Oh, what's the news? Chris, um, Chris Armani and stuff. They keep saying uh, <laughs> Dokon's going to turn up to one of these spaces. <laughs> I, I, saw a, um, I saw a message he sent me yesterday. You know when he came on yesterday? Before uh-huh. that, I missed a message. It was like, Dokon might come on. If, if, if he's not coming on, then I'll come on. Okay. And now he's messaged me again saying... Um, are you going to be on Spaces tonight? As if to probe whether Dokon can come on. Yeah, yeah. I, I bet he's going to come on when we're all fucking tired and we just want to like, be silly. <laughs> it's going to be Jesus Christ. Like pressure level goes to 10. You think he, uh, what kind of things that, uh, have you ever seen Doe laugh? What does he laugh about? Um, I think everyone's a little bit scared of him. In general, like I notice when I fuck around in that rebirth chat or whatever, and I kind of like troll him a little bit, everyone else is too scared to <laughs> like he's going to take away our funding or something. You know what I mean? Everyone's a bit. I think it's like a inherited thing from the old way when he was like this big king figure up in the sky. Um, but I actually think it's good to to take the piss out of him a little bit. You know what I mean? Just because of. Um, humanize him stop the whole idolization thing going on stop the weird cult leader thing going on i I sort of see myself a little bit like the the jester who kind of kicks the king down a little bit and makes him more silly i think it's helpful yeah um we we have to kind of get his maybe hot takes on the funniest shit he's seen this year or something like that like a little bit different tone i don't know Uh, it's an interesting question like what kind of conversation would he enjoy the most if um or what kind of conversation would he had have if he was just with his friends or something? Um, maybe we can be his friends. Yeah, I wonder if there's uh, like I don't know. He feel I guess he must feel like way less pressure because he probably has like ninety percent less meetings and shit than he used to have. Um, so that's like 
I'm not sure it's a consolation necessarily, but at least probably things are quieter, huh? I, uh, I, uh, I know a story, which was quite funny, where someone I know messaged him about some random funny thing uh, before, like a year ago. And um, Do Kwon replied like, uh, he replied like, how is sending me this message helping us get UST to 100 billion? Question mark. <laughs> and my friend was like shocked. Yeah. He was just trying to make Do Kwon laugh or something. And he just like ended the chat and like went away and was like, fuck, this guy's a machine. That was the thing. So, you know, it's funny because like that's the kind of ethos he had. But then like when, remember when I was like, hey, Adam back, um, you know, you should, uh, you have these questions about how Luna UST works. Maybe we should get you into space with Doe and, you know, maybe we can chat about it because I think the questions you're asking, like maybe only Doe and a few other people, you know, have the qualifications was my, my idea. Like, you know, well, well, maybe you just need to be, you know, talking only to the people that know precisely what they're talking about instead of asking stupid questions on Twitter and going back and forth and you know, not getting good answers or asking good questions, but getting bad answers. So that was when uh, Doe made that secretary remark where he's like, what, what are you, my secretary or some shit? <laughs> like, remember that? And um, the, but the whole point was like, because he did have this idea of let's kind of, you know, get this thing to a hundred billion dollars or whatever. Let's kind of, uh, so where promo Doe stops and where promo Doe ends, like nobody could ever really figure out. Right. So I don't know. It was, it was interesting. Cause I was like, Hmm, uh, clearly the guy is super busy. Uh, if he doesn't want to like, if he wants to say a comment like that with Adam back listening, uh, like, it was a very funny moment. And, um, I don't know. You, you kind of get, you got the sense that he was stressed out for anyone that doesn't know, like <laughs> Adam Beck is one of the kind of, like OG Bitcoin people that was there from some of the early days on Reddit and stuff. And um, anyway, so like it, it was one of those kind of conversations that went down very, very funny. I can give you guys a great uh, anecdote of Doe's personality, uh, but also of his humility, I guess, in a way. Um, Last year, we were probably right around this time, actually, we were in Lisbon. And um, the only other time I had met Doe before this was at TFI Alpha. And that was like a total shit show. The whole interview we did where, um, you know, it was the day he got served by the, the SEC and we weren't sure if that was real or not. And I asked him about it. And then uh, maybe many people have seen it. It, it did its cycles in like mainstream media where he talks about how they were going to uh, closed down TFL and they had a kill switch and blah, 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 totally taken out of context. But anyway, that was like the only time I had met him. And that was like a total, like high adrenaline shit show. Everybody was drinking and it was really loud and everybody got like two seconds to talk to him. Um, but then this time last year, Delphi did a, did an event in Lisbon, Portugal. And so Pete and I were out there to cover the event and, uh, meet up with a bunch of the like European, Luna people, etc., and um, Doe was actually sitting at a dinner. So he hit me up on Twitter DMs, and he's like, "Hey, let's hang out." And I'm like, "All right, cool, yeah, let's hang out." And uh, he hit me up on on Twitter DMs, 
And uh, he's like, oh, okay, well, I'm at dinner at like such and such place. And so I'm like, all right, well, you know, Pete and I will just like hang out in that area. It's it's like a, you know, busy area. There's bars and restaurants and blah, blah, blah. And uh, we show up to meet him and he's sitting at a table with like all of the Delphi people and all of the jump people. And as we walk up, we see him sitting there and he's like, oh, hey, guys. And he just like gets up and excuses himself from the table of all these people that I would assume. I mean, I don't know if they're having like a hardcore business conversation, but they were pretty intimate partners. He's like, oh, come on, like, let's go hang out. So he just like left this the middle of this dinner and just walked out to like the pier area with Pete and I and uh, was like hitting his vape and was just like talking about at the time, like Solana and like how it competed with Ethereum. And I don't know, he's, he's just like a. Um, I don't know. He's, he's a normal guy down to earth. I mean, everybody, he's like a magnet though. At the same point, at the same time, if you ever met him in person, like everybody wants to be next to him and talk to him and stuff. Um, but I don't know. I felt it was pretty cool. Like he gave Pete and I the time of day that he just walked up and, and got up from this dinner with all these people and just like hung out with us for a minute to like smoke a cigarette essentially. Yeah, like, well, you can you can tell a certain thing about some people um, in that, like, so Doe went to Stanford, and Stanford's uh, sort of like criteria for admission are quite strict. That's considered, I think, basically the hardest place to get into in the United States in terms of universities. And I don't know what the how strict it is or how hard it is for people out that you know are not uh, citizens of the United States, but. Like my son uh, went to an interview with Stanford um, via Zoom call or whatever. So I got a chance to sort of listen into the thing. And generally, you're talking about very, very smart people that you have to engage with. Um, it's really hard to sort of like bullshit your way into the place. Um, it's it's fairly difficult. Um, the the kinds of questions that are asked of you, in a sense, like are looking at sort of how much you know, technical knowledge, what your speaking skill, what's your depth of and breadth of understanding of like life, the universe and everything kind of thing. And, um, uh, you know, I, I know like my son almost spent like three hours and was pretty engaged with, um, with the interviewer and such. And I, I just think about like, and then I have some other friends and stuff that, um, you know, one of our friends, uh, kids is in Stanford and, um, there is a certain caliber of folks that get into those places and they're usually uh, fairly good on the personality side of things in terms of like, yeah, your, your ability to attract a crowd and things like that um, are things that uh, they sort of look for. So yeah, it doesn't surprise me that he has those qualities because it's, it's kind of the type of university he went to not so much. They teach you to be that there, but it just happens to be sort of the selection criteria. And I think Doe was like debate too, I think at some point, wasn't he Bruce? Like he he did a lot of debate team type things. He was a high school. He was a high school debate champion. Pantera, I need to confront you though. Is that okay? You're ready to be confronted. I think he's driving still. <laughs> he oh, might be distracted. Well, I've heard that excuse before. He was sure turning left for a while there. That blinker was going nonstop. He was doing circles. As yeah, he got he more and more nervous, he kept going round and round and round. <laughs> Anyway, I don't like that story that Pantera told because I think that although it was good for him and Pete, it was also a lot of suffering for everyone at that table, everyone from Jump and Delphi. 
Um, he just described a spontaneous abandonment. I have spoken to 10 of the people at that table who were sitting down and enjoying a lovely conversation with Do Kwan, only to be abandoned. Yeah, so anyway, uh, sorry, I'm in a pub now, so it's a, it's a bit ra- raucous. Um, I, I don't know. In the, in the handful of times I met Do and talked to him, he's always been super approachable and, and cool. Uh, like, and cool and cool in the relative to like someone that you would approach and, and kind of, he, he doesn't big time anyone, you know, um, he's always been happy to like chat with whoever about anything and kind of change levels with them. But I would say he, he definitely, as far as like joking around and stuff, um, he, he's, he's at a point in the spectrum where sometimes jokes maybe don't register with him. So you gotta, <laughs> yeah. you gotta be mindful of that when you're talking with him. I've heard that. I've also heard that like his rhythm is a bit out. Like he he kind of uh, can thrive in a Q and A format where there's a clear like you speak now, I speak now. But if there's something more free flow, that can cause problems and uh, a lot of interference and mistimed statements. He's a true computer. Well, I think with anyone like that, who's like a a beautiful world class founder who can biddle compulsively and get things done and actualize a vision and has those kind of skills and powers. There's always a level of trade-off, I think. Yeah, um, you can silence out the rest of the world and kind of focus, right? And that focus results in certain weaknesses elsewhere. Everyone I know like that has a level of like compulsiveness where they can just fixate on something and just ignore everything else. Um, it, it, yeah, it's like it comes with the territory. And you can say like, oh, that person is cold, they're autistic, they're whatever, that you know, you can say all kinds of things. But really, if they were everything you wanted them to be, they would not be doing what they're doing. Yep, exactly. Like the, the exact features that you don't like are the reason why they're successful in the first place. And you can't like there's no trade-off that you can make that you could get both um you you could get the version of the person you want and get the <laughs> version of the person that makes the shit that they make. It's yeah. like you're just a person at the end of the day and like, you know, you're you're kind of a you, whatever your total package is, that's just who you are. You know, it's like you can't separate the things. Yeah. Yeah. You could you could also say make the claim about like SBF and his success, right? In many ways. Like, you know, he's he's clearly like a cold calculating individual who has like no good sense of like morals and ethics, I think. Not at any fundamental level. Like you can tell by the way he kind of speaks and some of the things he said uh in you know different like messages have been released in terms of his conversation yeah he he thinks of uh like he thinks of uh money sort of like from a trader's angle to some degree um he doesn't really have but he likes to sort of like fake the philosophic piece right like like uh, uh anything like that in crypto or in like money or in the exchange that might be kind of like utopian he tends to I think he just LARPs the utopian side to some extent. Like he doesn't know how to, and he doesn't even do that particularly very well. Like he doesn't talk the talk really well when it comes to like uh, the vision of crypto and shit like that. You, and then when Eric Voorhees got on um, with him um, on YouTube or whatever, he just completely broke down. He couldn't even answer simple questions. It was very funny. Um, so yeah, he, he sort of like plays a utopian on TV when it's scripted, but he can't do it. Like when you like, like if I were to interview Sam Bankman-Fried, like 
he just he just sound like an idiot when it comes to any kind of like vision i think but he his vision though was to make money and that part you know he was able to acquire lots of people's money which is um the grift part he's he was fantastic at obviously i i think you just confirmed that he's a government planted robot is what i'm hearing I don't know. Like, like the government's just not that bright. You're, you're thinking like, <laughs> like the government's like sitting around, like, you know, bringing these guys into positions to do these things. It's like, I don't know. It's, he's just, he's just a, he's like, he's a Bernie Madoff type character. Essentially. He can justify a whole lot to himself and in his head that, um, and I don't think it requires any special sort of conspiracy for him to be him he's just that way as far as we can tell i see i was just chalking it up to more bad ai but you're you're sounding more plausible than me i guess at the moment <laughs> yeah well if it was bad ai we wouldn't notice, notice the difference so there's that Yeah, it's almost like he looks at life like um, like it's a chess game, and, and uh, it's all game theoretical advantages. Uh, that's what I kind of took away from reading some of that insight uh, that you're referencing, Cefi. Yeah, interesting character, but yeah, Bado uh, like strikes me as like quite benign in the grand scheme of things. Like he's not really out to like he doesn't sit around harming anybody. That's not his angle at all. I think uh, at some level he does uh, any, anyone who makes it to sort of a Stanford level of undergraduate does so with like, they've had to impress a lot of people to get there and, and to make it to that level. And um, you know, that type of salesmanship at some level will be there for most people that make it to that. It's just a common thing. You do have like, if you go to some of the bigger universities, like your Harvard's um, Princeton's, um, you will have like truly like ultra nerds, uh, as well, like who are completely incapable of like normal, uh, normal activities. You see that a fair amount with Cornell and the engineers there, um, like, you know, true autists in a sense. And the, it, like when my son was going to these schools to interview and everything, um, what I told him is, you know, like, well, you're a nerd, just go the nerd route. Don't try to pretend like you're some other shit. And that worked really well for him. He got into practically, you know, everywhere he applied or whatever. And he had the, he had just a choice, but like, he didn't try to LARP as some sort of like fucking, what do you call like a, like a crew, you know, how that Lori Laughlin's kid, you know, like pretended to be on the rowing team or some bullshit and all that stuff. Like uh, those kind of things are unnecessary What they're you, it's very hard to fake uh, competency at some level. And uh, people that are interviewing you can tell the difference to a large extent. And you can grift for a while, but then um, there's a point after which, like, well, it just seems like you're, you're kind of faking it to make it. And, um, like, going full nerd, I think, is one way to get into those places. But a lot of folks just can get in. Like, I think Sam Bankman-Fried, was he, where, where did he go? Is he MIT or what? Bruce, do you know? Do you have to remember? I don't know. I'm not as, um, as much of an admirer of him as you are. No, I'm. I don't really care about him either. I just, I was just reading about whatever was in the media lately because I, I never like used FTX or any of that shit. I didn't really pay that close attention, honestly. But um, I don't remember. I think his 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 uh, that girlfriend Caroline or her father, I think, is MIT, like with Gary Gensler and whatever. Um, but I don't remember where uh, Bankman Fried, the 
the SBF went exactly. But anyway, um, but he seems like someone who conversationally um, is less um, has, has is more inept than a lot of other people <laughs> that I've noticed. Yep. Yep. It's um, consistently interesting and strange how so many people these days with so few social skills or life experience or like <laughs> any kind of major fight in their lives um, or just like street experience. Uh, I don't know how to describe it really. Just like how few people who are um, well-rounded humans end up in these positions. Like look at these characters, like these Sam Bangman fried and, and Vitalik and others like, what's going on <laughs> how are these people so powerful and i think there's a weird kind of um inevitability to to the way they fail as well in that a character like sam who has clearly missed a lot of key things in his life um you know he's never done uh i, I can't imagine he's ever done anything like martial arts or really had too much social experience or whatever um he hasn't gone through the things that would forge a very strong character and an understanding that that kind of holds up under pressure you see what i mean it's like a it's like he hasn't been fully crystallized he's kind of floppy and a bit spineless and because of that it can all fall apart very easily yeah well he yeah, has a bit of a you're exactly yeah, right <laughs> go ahead gross sorry Oh, I was going to say that you see this in nerds that get famous a lot. They end up um, being able to track a caliber or level of woman that they haven't in the past. And then they, they all that their life like completely falls apart because they have all the access to these things that they never could before. And they have no idea how to process all of this. Yeah. It's like power before being able to handle it. Um, yes. It's interesting. You see as many politicians kind of end up like this as well, as well, like these slick, nerdy politicians. And then there's some scandal. They cheated on somebody. They did whatever. Um, it's like it's like they were thrust up and gained too much power too quickly before they had actual um, resiliency or a spine to handle the, the, the kind of bonuses of the power. It's interesting. Or the temptations. We would see this a lot in like the YouTube sphere, too, because like in order to be like a good content creator, not YouTube, just YouTube, TikTok, all these things. You have to like be really consistent. You have to be able to make bangers all the time. But like it happens all the time where someone will make just like one good video and but you'll never hear from them ever again because they don't have what it takes to like stay up there. I think it applies to most things in life. So you really just need like a good backbone to uh, keep some foundation, right? That's exactly right. Yeah, I mean, also if uh, it's it's a person's interesting after they've been through certain losses and, and um, like maybe have suffered in some way. Uh, take, for example, Doe. He has had his entire sort of, sort of system in life and everything he built kind of wrecked. So in some ways, I, I'm more optimistic about being involved with his project after he's learned all those lessons than maybe a fresh person who has no idea what those lessons actually are, that there's almost no way to simulate learning them. Like the pain and destruction, like can't be just that uh, you can't just, I don't know. It's, it's hard to emulate that or just, you know, go into some simulator and like pretend like it happened to you. It's not the same thing. Yeah. I think that the same about the, the crash as well, you know, the may crash. 
Um, I lost a huge amount of money, but I've also lost a huge amount of money before. And I've lost my health at one point and I've lost all kinds of things at different points. Um, and I've been in like a lot of physical danger at different points as well. So it was like, hmm, I, I had a like a fundamental belief that whatever happens, even if I lose everything, I'll kind of crawl out of it. And, you know, a lot of it's about mindset and in chaos, there are often the best opportunities and, and things like that. And I noticed that a lot of other people had, it was really their first major loss. It was really their their first major life falling apart moment and it was like oh fuck you know the the story of who i thought i was and everything i'd achieved and all this stuff has just like blown up you know what what the fuck am i what happened you know what do i do now it's like it's um it was kind of interesting for me to watch as somebody who's had multiple blow-ups at different points in the past and come back from them um because like the average level of bounce back and resiliency there was very very low um and it, it it kind of made me think like Hmm, that, that's interesting. Like most humans out there either haven't really suffered as much as that before, or um, hmm, I don't know how to put it exactly. They, they haven't suffered as much and they don't really believe they can bounce back or something like that. I don't know how to say it. Well, I think most people, like you said, it's most people's first time, but I think that's the point is that most people don't try a second time. Yeah, all kinds of people say to me, like, I'm quitting forever. That's it. I'm out of here. <laughs> Going back yeah, without that, without realizing just how it's insanely valuable the whole uh, process was in the first place, right? Maybe like in a few years they can revisit, but usually they just they tap out and they they say never again, and then that's it. I think the one of the things you learn from a situation like this is um, the percentage of people who learn the wrong lessons and who develop like a stage of um, a, a state of like bitterness or resentment or. Um, learning that, oh, crypto as a whole is bad or something like that. You see what I mean? It's like they, they never had a solid framework to start with. They kind of lucked out. Um, so then their, their new framework for reality is just some kind of, <laughs> it's like a, uh, some kind of trauma or victim thing where they just like, oh, I'm not doing that again. And they just get the fuck out of there. Um, but it's yeah. like, yeah, if, you, you know, you know, you know, when this is like, uh, one of these places where you get insight into this is. So if you go to a, like, for example, job interview or a, you go to an interview related to like, um, you know, getting into a university or something like that, or into a professional school, you know, one of the common questions interviewers ask in these types of things is like, you know, you know, what are your weaknesses? Uh, you know, what, um, you know, maybe what are the things about you that uh, you find that you could be better at or just suck at or something like that? and. Uh, it's it's actually it's a quite deep question always and the and how how people answer that question is also um like a reflection of depth so <laughs> the superficial way to do it is you know the people that want to game the system sort of will say things like okay so what's your weakness well my weakness is you know like maybe i uh i talk too much or something right like you know or like something that is sort of a weakness but not really but it might be a strength in some you know depending on how you interpret it Whereas like a true weakness would be like, well, you know, I've tried a dozen times to, to, you know, get good at playing the piano, my ability to memorize the, you know, uh, you know, whatever notation or read notation is, you know, no matter how much I practice, I, I don't seem to get ahead. Uh, you know, like they're looking for evidence of you having tried and failed 
and a, a deep insight into truly what you're not good at, right? Because when you have discovered what you're not good at, it, it, it means, number one, you went through the process of discovery. You actually you know, did the things to find out what your actual weaknesses are, what the depth of those weaknesses are, and then have decided, okay, I'm going to come and do this as a career because I think it fits my strengths better, right? Like, you know, these are the reasons why I want to go into this particular field. It's easy for someone to say, for example, well, I want to be a doctor, or I want to be a lawyer, or I want to be a coder, or whatever it is. But um, it's harder to say why, like, maybe you're not good at all the other things that, um, that led you not to go down those paths. And like the interviewer is looking for all of those kinds of interesting, um, like maybe like insights into a person. And most people don't do a great job interviews because they don't really get into that depth, I think, or don't, maybe they don't have the experience to get into that depth. And that's always uh, something that can be brought out in those kinds of conversations. Sefi, can I confront you now? Yeah. What's next? <laughs> you always criticize how other people handle that question of your weakness, but you never explain what your own weakness is. I just mentioned one of mine, like the piano example or whatever. Yeah. You, you said that was like a third party thing. Like if somebody has that weakness. Yeah, but I, I used, uh, but I just used myself as an example in there. All right. I'm, we're in anyway. an interview now. I'm interviewing you for the chief surgeon of the, the amputation clinic. Sefi, what is your biggest weakness? Um, I don't want to run the amputation clinic. What what do so, you what like, yeah. like the, the, the piano thing is kind of funny though right like what what do you consider the biggest weakness have you thought about this mm, in in what domain like in, in like a medical domain let's say you so, are being hired to be some kind of um consultant so typically at this at this stage like if I'm going to get hired for something it's because I know already that that's something I can do well. I'm not necessarily trying to say, for example, uh, you know, inter like, let's say I'm not trying to become, say, for example, dean of a medical school. Why? Because I don't want to handle bureauc bureaucratic nonsense and paperwork and hiring and firing and like management type things. So to some extent, like, yeah, the, the, the questions ends up having to be more specific to like a particular maybe job type. Um, even then, obviously, there's like domain specific weaknesses and everything. Um, maybe like certain areas where I'm not as uh, technically knowledgeable as some other people or something like that. But when it like, for example, I didn't go too high up the ladder in terms of management because outside of maybe handling like a team of like maybe, you know, four to five to 10 people, something like those that range, I'm not interested in handling groups of like 100 plus people where it becomes purely a bureaucracy. Um, so maybe my weakness is I just don't want to handle that kind of, um, I don't know. I, I just don't want to be that political and have that, that type can, of, can I, uh, can I help Selfie, Sefi? Yeah. Yeah. Can ahead. I help? Mm -hmm. What I would say to coach Bruce in the interview, if I was you with, I would say coach Bruce, my weakness is I care too much. <laughs> right. The, That's the my care too much argument. Yeah. I care too much. That's always the other. That's the other one that is the cop out one, right? <laughs> Anyone that's can it. say that. Yeah. Should we go around uh, the room and all the speakers say what their um, weaknesses are? 
Well, I think we need a, a situation to start with. Sefi is right that we need a context, even though he was using that to wriggle out and and try and place weaknesses upon like technical speciality rather than true personality or character flaws. Um, I didn't like that. I was offended by that. But I think, Grills, maybe you can say the situation, then we can all go around. Oh, I, I have another weakness of mine. So uh, we'll, we'll, we'll cover this real quick. So uh, I'm less sympathetic to um, sort of like, um, so when it comes to say sort of medical care or, and, and whatnot, I'm much less sympathetic to sort of like weird flights of fancy among people like uh, people that work under me or uh, patients and such as far as like all sorts of nonsensical belief systems that are that have no basis in like fundamental reality. So I'm pretty harsh when it comes to that sort of shit. I'm like, well, find another doctor then <laughs> like that kind of thing. Uh, so there's only so much bullshit I'm willing to tolerate, I think. Can and, you give it up? What's up? Can you give an example? Um, yeah, like, for example, there are certain uh, conditions, say, for example, like, um, okay, so let's say someone's having uh, gastric bleeding, they're bleeding from their stomach, and they come in and they tell me they are a uh, Jehovah's Witness, which is a group of people who, uh, in many instances, they don't want to accept blood products. Okay, so, okay, fine, don't accept blood products then. But then don't also come and tell me that, well, when the time comes, I want you to perform CPR and uh, like save me from a cardiac arrest. I'll, I'll just tell them, well, that's just nonsensical. Like, you know, like if you don't have if your blood counts too low, you just die. Like there's no need for CPR and this kind of thing. So I'm pretty brutal when it comes to those descriptions, like because like if you put me in a position to have to do weird shit because you have a weird belief system that doesn't fit with reality, then at least your entire ethos needs to fit that um, reality so if you don't want blood fine but then again i'm uh, you know don't look at me when it's come time to come do cpr because you know if if the reason you need cpr is because you're bleeding to death it's like i can't actually fix the problem you see what i'm saying so like that's the kind well, of thing i'll tell people, i think well, this okay, one find another doctor <laughs> it's as simple as that i think that's fair they can either buy into the whole medical model in your training and allow you to do what you do or they can find someone else seems fair to me I think uh, this one and the previous, they're not, I don't think they're actual weaknesses. They're more just like preferences, right? Like, I guess in some sense you could say like it's a weakness, like practicality, because it, 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 it but I don't even know if many people would agree with this as a weakness. It's just like, a, I don't know, just a, a roadblock that you're imposing. Like a boundary yeah. or something. Yeah, I, I think I think some people uh, like, uh, yeah, either it's a weakness or not, like we, yeah, it's hard to define what it is. Like, but it, yeah, maybe a preference, for example. Like, I don't prefer. I, th I think the thing is, like, like you know, it, it. People don't think about this a lot, but I, I was thinking about it just by chance. And this, the idea is like, you know, we have like these really specific skills and like these really specific things. Like, like an example that I was given is like this guy was. He's trying to figure out his strengths, and he he realized he really liked writing emails. And and, and what does that mean? What is it? That's not a strength. But he liked the idea of like breaking down a topic and like explaining it in details and like, and, and then he's like, okay, wait, I really like teaching. And then he really dug into this more and he's like, okay, wait, I'm a storyteller. And he realized one of his biggest strengths was the idea of like crafting a narrative and explaining something and this, and this like really helped him figure out like his life path. Right. And so in, in the same sense, a lot of us have, have weaknesses in that like we, we really try to be good at something like 
a lot of us, especially as like teenagers, we tried this, right? We, we were like, um, I really want to make music. And then they, they sit down in front of the, uh, of the, of the, of the program or they, or they start learning an instrument and like they can try really hard and they can eventually become really good, but it's not something that's like in their bones. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't think people think about weaknesses as like, um, like personality flaws, but just like, just the personal human uh, inefficiencies that we might have and that like over time, like maybe we can overcome, but although, although at to the admit core, personality, to admit your personality flaws are actually probably more difficult for more people. Like I would think, you know, like if I would just wasn't good at playing the piano, that's easy to say to somebody. If it's like there's something flawed in my personality that I have to admit to, that's a harder thing for people to say. Yeah, that's what I was saying. Like it's practical skills or, or workplace, you know, domain knowledge or whatever that that's like just knowledge shit or race of knowledge acquisition, acquisition shit or like, but it's, it's, I don't know. It doesn't feel like a true weakness that would like make your ego a little bit uncomfortable to admit it. I think that's a different thing. And the thing is like a lot of them like are things that we you eventually you have to get to a good baseline. So you don't even notice that at some point you were inefficient at it. Right. Like for example, for me, the first thing that comes to my mind is like focus. It's really hard for me to like sit down and focus and do things, but like I've developed systems to like kind of leverage that and kind of overcome it. So it doesn't feel like a weakness, but like as a human, I'm so bad at it. And uh, like, but so you, you kind of slips under the radar a bit. My weakness is that I'm like a path. Yeah, thank you for sharing your weakness with us. That could also be quite a strength. <laughs> what you asking me? I I couldn't hear, guys. I'm cooking, so. No, I, not all about you. Your weakness is is narcissism and ego. Always think everything's about you. Well, actually, um. You know, my I think weakness, that's just human. My 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 weakness is your cousin. I I have a a very very hard time with your cousin. Hmm. It's actually quite hard to identify like a massive weakness that doesn't sound like um some kind of bullshit denial of of what your true deepest weakness is. Um, like I, I would the first thing that came to mind with me is like I'm really terrible any kind of organization, any kind of remembering like my schedule, uh, any kind of short-term memory of stuff, even like my own birthday, I'll forget it. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, um, I, I won't know what day it is day to day. I operate in this kind of weird realm of like, I wake up and people ring me and I do meetings and stuff. And, um, or I'm kind of doing the next thing to advance my businesses or whatever else. But like, it's very much outside of time and organized schedules. Um, it, it's kind of like whatever I feel like doing or, or whoever rings me and, and whatever we talk about. Um, I've always been really bad at that. And it's, it's kind of interesting for me because I'm, I'm quite good at a lot of other things like being very creative and resourceful and whatever else. But I, I seem to be completely useless at this kind of aspect um, or like, I'll give you an example of things I do. Typically, it's like I'll have a, a goal to go to bed at a certain time uh, tonight, and then I'll notice that like <laughs> it's six hours past my bedtime, and I've just been like obsessing about some idea for the last six hours, and I'm like, "Fuck, I had this idea that I would go to bed or something." I, I like that's my life twenty four seven, just like forgetting 
what my intentions were and and just getting kind of losing myself in things and in a way it's good because it's like in the moment when you're losing yourself in something you're you're creative you're maybe your best um you're maybe the most focused and most able to ignore the world but at the same time uh it's kind of impractical for life and like it's not very good for operating as a normal human so like i've always had that side of me where it's like just yeah, no, no real capacity to organize myself uh, in a kind of ongoing scheduled way. Um, also, with with anything like school or exams, I never did any homework at all. Um, never, ever did I organize myself. I'd like somebody would tell me, oh, there's a test today. And I'm like, fuck. And they're like, oh, if we studied for it for the last two months, I'm like, fuck. And then I'd have to like cram in the final 20 minutes uh, while I was walking to the exam hall. I'd have to, I'd print off the syllabus and like read it as I was on the walk there and then throw it in the bin <laughs> when I got there. Like that was, that was, and, and I guess that's kind of, I was able to do that because in some ways I'm smart, but like at the same time, I could have done much better had I been more organized. And in many ways it caused more stress, like always leaving things to the last minute and like barely scraping it in many ways with um, academic stuff and whatever else it was like, just ended up more stressed than it was ever worth doing. You know, it's, I don't know. I've always been like that. I mean, do yeah. you ever just grab a, grab a calendar? I mean, I, I have a similar thing, but I, I just started, I downloaded a calendar app and I just, every time I have a, something to do, I just write it in, put in an alarm and then it'll appear on my phone. Right. And it was like that. And then like that combined with like a good sleep schedule and like 90% of the problems went away. Um, my biggest weakness is probably consistency. Uh, just to piggyback off you coach. Um, I tend to follow the habits of a lion. I don't know if, if lions, what they do is they hunt for three days, very hard, like almost around the clock, work very hard. Then they like chill for four days. And so many things in my life could be easier, more straightforward if I would kind of follow the same consistency every day. But I tend to do what you were talking about, coaches, going down some rabbit holes for a couple of days at a time and then having um, a break away from all of it. Yeah, I, I, I understood what you said, uh, Dorniki. But it's like it's also kind of like I can't stop doing whatever I want to do. So even if like the the alarm or the, the scheduled thing comes up, if I'm really into something, I won't be able to resist just doing that thing. <laughs> and it's like a weird like I don't know what it is, like a love of um just following my own like river, if you like. Um, I, I, I don't, I've never liked the idea of having my time or my, my emotions or, uh, my brain be kind of regimented or scheduled or determined in some kind of external way. I like just following whatever I'm interested in. And in many ways, my life is like working out how to channel that natural flow into something that actually helps my life work and makes money or whatever else. Um, and it, and it has, fortunately, like in many ways. Um, I've now started like a bunch of different businesses and most of them have done quite well. So, I mean, I've had a few failures and things along the way, but like I've managed to convert that kind of spontaneity into something that does well. Um, so that's good. But yeah, like it's... Yeah, I don't want to I don't wanna enable you, but I do agree that like if you can find... Like this is the thing with all weaknesses, right? Where like if you find some like like edge to use it as like a strength it really works like as you're saying like um you if you, you don't want to lose the flow because like that's where the the creativity like eclipses right when you when you're in that state 
and you just you just don't want to stop and then things just happen and uh but like a lot of people have trouble finding that state but they're good at scheduling and i think people just maximize whatever strength they have and use weaknesses in these sort of ways like i my weakness another weakness i have is like i have like a like a certain like addictions or whatever every day i want to do certain things and i say like okay well in order instead of stopping that thing because that's quite hard to do why don't i just uh, make it so I cannot do that thing unless I accomplish a certain amount of goals. And then in that sense, the weaknesses persist, but you use it to your advantage to like benefit you in some way. And I think that's really like a lot of people don't find that angle, but weaknesses in that sense, they are, if you, if you reframe it and think of it as like, this is just simply who I am, how do I use this in my life to somewhat serve me? And it can be really powerful in this weird sort of backwards way. Yeah. I have this, I don't know what it is, like a maybe a Zen sense that everyone has a a natural thing they can uh, hmm. it's it's like a natural state in which they are their best selves. And it's different for everyone. Some people lean into more like organizational things. Some people lean more into responsibility for others, even like maintaining law and order and stuff like that. Um other people can function more from spontaneity. Other people like to do things like maintain systems and like maintain the integrity of systems. And and other people are more the entrepreneur types who like novelty. They like having an idea, bringing it to reality. Then they're like bored and they move on. I, I'm more that kind of type of person. But like, I have this sense that, that every person has a different sense of meaning um, and a, a sense of the the natural state they like to be in. Like for me, I like to come up with an idea, kind of bring it to reality and then pretty much um, move on or do some new idea or develop something else. Um, and I, I'm kind of chasing that novelty in a way. Uh, I don't like to stick around and maintain systems and, and things like that, like the, the managerial kind of role. Um, but my, my overall sense is like everyone has a natural sense of functioning that they can do in a almost like a perfectly relaxed way um, where they are calm and and like steady and everything happens quite easily and effortlessly and uh, my sense is that a, a lot of life or maybe kind of adolescence and adulthood is like finding that thing finding that way in which you can function naturally and for me i think i've kind of found it in many ways but i think a lot of people are just kind of forcing themselves to be certain ways and when i look in the past with like my history and stuff, I, I, I look at the things I did and I was fucking insane. Like I would spend two hours writing an email to like a, like when I, in my first few businesses, I would spend like two, three hours writing a very simple email um, to an investor or something. Things that now I would do in like two minutes, right? Say like, do you want a five minute call? And I just get on a phone call. Um, and it was interesting to, to look back. Like uh, every now and then I go through like my old emails and just like see how I used to be <laughs> for comparison. And it's quite fun <laughs> because like I used to be such a perfectionist and, and so like autistically trying to get everything perfect. And I really, really imagine that it all mattered so much. Um, and it's like interesting because being in that mode was really fucking stressful and it had really high diminishing returns. And like everything I thought was necessary was not really necessary. Um, and now it's like all of the things I do business wise just happen quite spontaneously and quite effortlessly and, and are almost like playful and fun. And it's like, it, it's kind of weird looking back. I had these ideas that all these things were necessary, but they just never were. Like my emails now are like 
one line or like do you want a phone call or just ringing someone and it's i don't know it's kind of weird like i've i've learned that you can function as yourself and everything is still okay like a lot of the ideas we have are just like bullshit and you never really know that unless you prove it to yourself um but, but like yeah it's it's weird it's like for me there's there's been like this letting go of all perfectionism um and and really like all this this kind of bullshit regimented idea of having to be something in order to get somewhere um and i realized that like life can still happen okay so long as you can be resourceful in capturing who you are and how you'd like to function naturally you know that sounds like the story there coach of back when you know you thought you knew better than your mom and your dad and you know you always thought that uh, oh you know mom don't know nothing dad don't know nothing i know everything better and you know at the end of the day as you progress and you get older and you mature i uh, you know you learn that your thoughts uh back at that time had no relevance and you know it's kind of the same thing um you know you, you got to calm down a little bit and, and you have to you have to sit back and you got to kind of reminisce a little bit and realize that you know what you thought you knew back then you really had no clue because you know what you know now and i kind of said that backwards there but um anyway with that said um you know one of my bigness or my biggest weaknesses is actually um taking care of the lawn and as dumb as it might sound you know sometimes i'm you know i i'm too busy and I don't take care of my lawn and I'm out there and then when it comes time to take care of my lawn my grass is real high and so I'm out there and I'm you know mowing with my mower and I'm out there you know taking care of the edges with the weed whacker and um, you know all of a sudden once in a while um, you know I run into a snake and I you know, I, I, I end up getting bit. Um, but, you know, uh, that's probably my big, my absolute biggest weakness. Um, but other than that, uh, I guess I got to put a lid on this uh, casserole here. So uh, I'll yield my time back to the floor. Thank you for sharing. Um, I, I wanted to go off. The one thing you said earlier is like, um, you know, finding your strength and like, People can people can become like quite good at things, right? But especially with content creation, because I was really interested in, in the idea of content creation is like, if you want to be successful as a content creator, there's so much competition that you simply have no choice but to be the best at one specific thing, right? But most people out there, they they don't do this. They, they, they do things that they see other people do success without realizing that they might not just be, like, it's just not them, right? And they're, they're trying to be someone that they're not in some sense. And uh, the analogy goes where it's like, why would you try to make the next McDonald's if McDonald's already exists? And it's, it's really interesting is that you have to be the best at something, but you equally can't copy other people. And so I think most, this is where like 99% of people fail is that they try um, to do what's already been done. And well, but there's no point because a, they're not that person and B what's well, already been done. So 
Ruben, you've had your hand up. Do you have um, something to share? So, um, um, I'm, I don't have anything to confess of things that I've done, but I have a, I have a confession of a thing that I didn't do. Is that appropriate for the forum? Yeah, it's, it's appropriate. Just one okay. thing we ask is that you be, you be fully honest. Okay. So, uh, I have a habit of blocking advertisers on my Twitter feed. Um, just broadly as a rule, if there's an ad on my feed, I block the account. And um, that's my sort of rage against the machine moment. It's very, um, you know, it's very low level. And I realized that I'm doing it wrong. Now what I do is I don't block the companies that I like the least because I realize at 20 to $30 CPM, I'm costing them like nine cents a day. And I'm also skewing their lookalike audiences. Um, and it's a little passive aggressive. It's extremely passive aggressive, but it's um, this is my way that I sort of fight the power. Um, so I, I don't block the advertisers that I that I like the least. It's, it's my confession. Uh, that's that's very spiteful. Thank you. I appreciate that. Aspara, how are you, my friend? I'm good. I'm feeling shy and nervous um, in the presence of a man like you. Same and- here. We're both vulnerable. Do you have anything to confess? This is a confession space. I, I've set up this space to be a place of vulnerable sharing and authentic truth where there is no judgment. Um, if you have something you can't usually say, maybe on your podcast or in other spaces, well, this space here today is somewhere you can tell everyone your truth. Yeah, I, I do have something to confess. Um, it, it's regarding raw milk honey. If you give the full truth. The the full truth is um she was shit testing me aggressively. Um and I, I believe as you know we're on the same page here, is that when a woman is shit testing you, she's doing this because she wants you uh to beat you to for you to beat her so hard that she squirts violently all over your face. And um I did I, I did beat the shit out of her, but apparently not hard enough because her squirt flow was about 75% what it usually is. So I'm confessing that I, I simply did not beat her enough. Uh, I, I feel horrible about this. Um, I, I figured I'd share it with you. I, I think you might understand where I'm coming from. I hear you, and I appreciate your truth. I feel <laughs> Just for clarification, you, you did get her to, to squirt quite a bit, though? Yeah, 75% of normal flow is fine. Um, but usually she could squirt her name on the wall to, you know, mark her territory. Um, but this time really wasn't that powerful. And I feel like I, I failed as a man by not beating the shit out of her enough. Um, so I, I will try to do better next time. Thank you for sharing your truth, Medgold. Thank you. Good night. Personally, I feel like you failed as a man when you decided to beat a woman, you know, as a real man. Um, he seems to have by default. He left. I think so. I think he, he he was really vulnerable. He needed a moment to cool down. I think he, he might he might come back, but there was a level of judgment in your voice, Pantera. Well, let me can let me let me finish my thought, and maybe you'll agree with my judgment. Uh, to to beat a woman, I, I mean, why would a real man beat a woman? Because by default, women mentally um, are just on such a lower level that you you don't need to resort to physical violence when that's such an obvious advantage you have. 
you, you should you should figure out some way to like psychologically damage them instead of Pantera. I think that's what, what he. I think that's what he did. Pantera, what's your favorite way to psychologically damage women? Well, it depends on on what stage of relationship you're in with with a woman. But like, um, for example, when you first meet a woman, uh, maybe you're courting, right? You're in your courting mode. You're you're peacocking. Uh, you know, you should always you should always immediately show that you're sexually interested in a woman. You don't you don't want to get friend zoned. Um, but in the same vein, and this may seem counterintuitive, you should also insult her, but in a playful way. Um, and, and this is really like a psychological mindfuck for her because you, you insult her, but she knows you're sexually interested. Um, but you make it in such a playful way that she, she doesn't know really what to do with herself. And so her brain is now contorted into this, uh, pretzel of, of sexual energy that she doesn't really know where to, to, um, to release herself. Um, and so that, you know, if that's, that's if you just met a woman for the first time. Now, if you've been in a long-term relationship with a woman, uh, it becomes much more complicated, right? W- what I tend to do is I begin to, over time, show her my own um, vulnerabilities, right? Uh, but wrong, because those vulnerabilities weren't real. And so I make her think that she has the upper hand on certain vulnerabilities that I've shown to her. But actually I have, I have, I have exposed to her a fake man, a man much like, um, like the man that just left the spaces because he's such a pussy. Um, and so you, you, you basically let them think they have the upper hand and you let them basically like a hamster running on a wheel and, and you let them exhaust their, their feminine energy by picking because a woman will always think very quickly and very rashly that they have found some weakness, some chink in your armor, and they'll attack that and they'll attack that and they'll attack that until you can basically come down to the same level as them, right? Because they inherently know that you are at different levels. And so what you do uh, is you expose to them these flaws or this the man in the desert crawling through the sand who wishes he he had a, a water to drink and he's seeing a mirage on the horizon of some like amazing uh water with you know these beautiful women ready to like pick up a carafe a carafe of of this delicious water and pour it in his mouth and so you 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 give that to a woman this mirage and so she runs in the direction of the mirage and she thinks that she um can pick away at that and, and bring you down to her level. But at the end of the day, she's really just spinning her wheels as a hamster, right? You, you're above that. You, you maybe continue to act vulnerable um, on those aspects, but, but it really doesn't matter. And then, and then the third stage of, of knowing a woman, which of course is, is not knowing a woman anymore. Um, at that point, you just, you just forget about her. Um, and th- that might actually be the hardest, the hardest stage of, of knowing a woman is, is not knowing her anymore. Uh, maybe she's dumped you. Maybe you've dumped her. Maybe, you know, for whatever reason, things aren't working out. Uh, you've been married for, for five or six years. You have kids. You need to just forget about her. Um, that's the most difficult stage, but but you just need to cut her completely out of your life. And um, the best way to do that is just not to pretend, but to actually do it, actually better yourself as an individual and focus on your own priorities and not worry about her and what, you know, 
don't do what's good for her, do what's good for you. Hopefully this answered your question, whoever asked it. Yes, I don't remember the question anymore, but it was, that was quite insightful, Pantera. Are you, so are you married? I can't remember. I thought you were. Yeah, happ happily married. <laughs> what, what stage are you on? Stage two then? Happily married. Okay, very nice. It's going pretty good. Do you feel that marriage in some way has like sapped you of your livelihood, like sapped you of your manhood? Is it constrained you in some sort of holy matrimony bond, whatever? Like, but in some ways also chained you down. Do you feel this is true? You know, you, you bring up the term holy matrimony, and I think that's a very important term to consider here because that's a term that is only seen in the eyes of God. And so uh, you need to realize that not only do you have a relationship with women and how women, um, you know, uh, Eve, was, Eve was birthed from Adam's rib, right? And so much like women have their sort of subordinate relationship with men, you have your subordinate relationship with God. And so God is testing you in your relationship with, with Eve. And so for you to have holy matrimony with a woman, um, maybe you're, you feel shackled or, or chained, as you said, Don Nikki. You feel chained by the depths of the succubi. But you need to realize that this is God's way of teaching you a lesson and, and making you um, become a stronger man at the end of the day. Because what is a man who has not suffered? What is a man who has not gone through some sort of adversity in the face of adversity only a true man shall prevail and so there is um a great reason for us men to to continue to to coerce and to um to to caress and and to become friendly with those who are who are birthed from our rib it makes a lot of sense and so, and so given this stage, I would like to confess that I, as a child, used to piss in, in the sink as a child, probably from age eight to age 16, I would piss in the sink and my, and, and it was my mother's sink. My mother owned the home. My parents were divorced. My, my father, he, he was not used to bearing the chains of a woman. And so he had gone yonder. And so my mother she she to provide this home and this this house and this rooftop and the, and put a meals on the table and she paid for the sink which was part of the home in which she worked so hard and yet me as a child i i must confess and i am ashamed that i would i would pull out my penis and piss in the sink because i was too lazy to go to the bathroom because we only had one bathroom which was on the second floor of our home do, do you think this is the only reason that you did this? Do you think possibly one other reason was that as a man, the, uh, uh, without a father in the home, you were in some sense whipping out your penis in the middle of the kitchen to establish your dominance of the home? Is there something, something some depth to this? I think, I think I have a lot of issues because my father left my home. And I think that perhaps one of them was that I decided to piss in the sink instead of the toilet, which is where most people would, would go to the bathroom. Mm -hmm. as, as a way to establish your position, establish dominance as, as the, the alpha male in the household in the absence of a, of a real father figure. Why, uh, why did you stop at 16? Because I still do that now. 
I just do it for fun. I pee in the shower. I pee in the sink. I pee everywhere. Even yep. if I, even if there's an opportunity to pee in a park or something, I'll do that. Uh, yeah, I'm, I mean, it is quite fun to to pee in the sink. Um, I wouldn't know for those of you who are who are short, like Coach. Um, you might have to stand on your tippy toes to reach your pelvic area up to the the ledge of the sink to actually urinate properly. Um, for who me, to- as a who to- who told you that I am a dwarf? I can just tell from your voice. As a six eight individual, I've never had to uh, stand on my tippy toes for anything. In fact, I don't even know if I have toes because I'm so tall. That standing on my tippy toes would uh, would just cause immediate of whichever room I'm standing mm-hmm. in or whichever vehicle I'm in. So, um, did you know you have a significantly lower life expectancy on average for being so large? When did you last see a super tall person who was elderly? You don't. They're all dead. Or they shrink because there's a, there's a secret to life, which is those of us who are tall, who dominate early in life, find this secret of life, which is to shrink and to hunch over and become shorter. It's a trade-off strategy where you, you get enormous and therefore you are both able to control more resources and intimidate other men. Uh, on the other hand, you are more subject to attack because others deem you as a threat. And also, you die about twice as soon as most other people. The average person who is 6'8 dies at around 45 years of age, the same age as the average caveman in Paleolithic times. Right. Think of, think of men who attacked with ranged weapons back in the days of of medieval times. Sorry, I'm eating a chicken sandwich. How is your chicken sandwich? Four out of ten. You would take aim with your bow and arrow, and you would look at the enemy horde, and of course, just like a pack of zebras, and how they defend against a lion, right? They all move as one, and they confuse the zebra with their stripes. Many people question why zebras have stripes. Well, now you know. When an enemy horde is attacking, it becomes confusing. You become inundated with how a horde is approaching you, and you don't focus on one enemy. But if one enemy of that horde manages to be 6'8", you can aim your bow, and you can fire at that one enemy. So that's why we have a lower life expectancy. It reminds me of a time when I was in high school. I uh I had a football in my hand and I have a I have a cannon for an arm and I used to throw the football at a lot of un- unsuspected people sometimes they were women and uh the last class change just came and there were people walking everywhere much like an enemy horde or a pack of zebras and there was one tall guy his name was Joe and he was he was taller than me and maybe subconsciously I felt you know I felt um, insecure because there was a man taller than me walking around the hallways. So I, I threw the football and I hit him in the face. And only him and I were lived above the crowd to even know what had happened. But I immediately ducked and I slid beneath the crowd of the hoi polloi. And he never knew. He never knew who hit him in the face with the football. It was a genius plan. Thank you for sharing. Um, do you ever get angry and upset 
about your large size because you could say in many ways that the increase digitization, the increase um, incoming popularity of this thing we call the internet and the use of avatars and these online profiles and things like that and how we're interacting now has greatly undermined the whole point of size and muscles and things like that. So it's like your body has engaged in some kind of evolutionary trade-off for large size when it would only really matter in the past. And now anyone who is maybe four foot six can claim to be large online and nobody can prove it either way. And also most of our work most of our work spent dominating other men these days happens on the internet through these discourses, through Twitter timeline reply threads, um, through Twitter spaces. There's almost no use at all anymore to large size. In fact, I think there's only negatives, only a lower life expectancy. You know, Coach, that's something I haven't thought about until now. And before I wasn't angry. But now I'm, I'm definitely starting to get angry. So... So yeah, it's like um, fucked over by genetics. Like just just at the point where having a large size became totally useless, your body has decided to make you as big as possible. And and maybe it's also you know an effect of of the the modern uh, lifestyle that I live. But but my body has gone to shit lately. You know, I I feel like if I was born maybe forty years ago, I would have been like a a hunk on a jet ski with multiple women. Uh, I, I would have been like a, a young Donald Trump, um, but sexier and, and more. I would have been like a, a Bruce Jenner before I became Caitlyn Jenner. Or if I was born 400 years ago, I would, I would have been like a, like a, um, wh whoever was sexy 400 years ago. Or if I was born, you know, during world war one, I, I would have been fighting in the trenches and, I, and just and just dominating and killing people with my bare hands. And so now I'm born in this in this curse of modern day where I'm forced to to eat chicken sandwiches in my car alone uh, in the drive through. In fact, I, I, I park in a parking lot away from from the fast food restaurant just so people won't see me eat the drive through. And I'll I'll order so much food that I, I feel like I. I need to order two drinks just to convince the woman that's taking my order that it's not just for me, but it's, you know, eventually I'll give the food to, to another. And so I've become this disgusting beast of a person and, and I am cursed and there's no one, no one to blame, I guess, uh, other than my circum, my circumstance. Pantera. Cause that's how, Yes. There are TFL employees who keep coming in and out. I'm suspecting that Doquan might arrive soon, and I'm scared. So I think I'm going to end the space because I'm scared. No, I think you should hold on, brother. I think we, I think we should. Oh boy, I'm too scared. I think we should. I'm nervous. No, please, please, please don't. Please. Learn, learn the lesson from me. You cannot go against coaches' will on the universe. We. Uh, <laughs> is, God, that is we a lie. Doquan with a chant. Yes, you know what they you know what they call Do Kwan in the Lunk community. They say Do Kwan. They they make it like do, okay. Number one, they say Do like Do 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 Kwan Do Kwan Do Kwan Do Kwan Do Kwan. And they also say like D E Q A U N like Kwan Kwan Do Kwan. I learned it yesterday. His name is his name is Hyungdo. 
it's not just dull, which it should have been obvious in my head, but I just never processed it. Kwon Hyung. Interesting. When Hyung, it, it doesn't, it's not part of his name, but Hyung actually means like older brother, but only like, okay, so old, uh, if you're a boy and you talk to an older boy, it's a different name. If you're a boy, you talk to an older girl, vice versa, girl talk to a girl, girl talk to a boy. It's all different. So Hyung is boy to boy, younger boy to older brother, like, like brother, but only men to men. I like a Dokun, but he Dokun is a smart man, but he abandoned the long blockchain. He left us all behind. Why he fork? Why he fork? Dokun, Dokun, he abandoned the chain. He has a long is the father chain. Luna is the little boy who he has given birth to. Why has he abandoned the father? Dokun has made a meal and then. Before he ate the meal, he has cook a new meal. Now he has two meal. He must come back and eat the first meal. Coach, I think you should you should summon Do Guan and change the title. One one time during the height of Luna, when Do Guan was impossible to get a hold of, I summoned him by changing our space's title to "We're for now," and he and also appeared. He's interested. You just muted yourself. I don't, I'm not prepared to be in a space with Doquan yet because I need to eat something. I haven't eaten all day. Jesus Christ. Let me eat. Let me nourish myself before I have to handle a Doquan. Ah, uh, Doquan. Because there's so many. Doquan. Doquan. The only way I forgive a Doquan is if he returns to the blockchain and make a long one dollar. And by the way, when he's here, he needs to retake a US he, he has abandoned the community. Hey, Pantera, where'd you get your chicken sandwich from? I actually got it from a local place called Grande uh, Grand mm. Slam Lounge. It's like a mm. it's like half bar, half restaurant. Very nice. Sounds wonderful. Yeah, it's pretty good. Uh, cheap, cheap enough. Why is Very it nice. pretty good? But you only gave it a four out of ten. I mean, it's. It's like shitty bar food. I mean, I guess for a chicken sandwich. Well, no, th there are some chicken sandwiches that have knocked me out of the park. For example, in Salt Lake City, there's a place called uh, Pretty Bird. If anyone here has ever been to Salt Lake City or had that, which was just fantastic. It's a spicy chicken sandwich. It's like the 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 souped up version, the home style version of like what I, I guess they give you at um, uh, whatever the fuck. What's that place that's popular for chicken sandwiches? Chick-fil-A. Popeyes. Yeah, Popeyes. But Chick-fil-A too. Um, I don't know who made yeah, that sound. Who made that sound? Who said Popeyes just then? Me. That was a really ugly sound to hear. And I don't think anyone liked it. It's really annoying. It annoyed me. It annoyed Miss Stinky. It annoyed everyone in the space. Why did you make that sound? I kind of just felt like it, Coach. Um... I'm just going to do it again if I want to as well. And, and you can't stop me. It's a great way to space with that, making that sound that nobody likes. Bruce, I, I, I Thanks for checking out another episode of the ether. That was coach Bruce Wrangler hosting a safe space. Confess what you did recorded on Wednesday, November 16th, 2022 for terraspaces.org. I'm Finn. Thanks for listening. 
In the darkest of times when the phoenix arises Out of the ashes like some burned up papyrus Open the sarcophagus and release the virus Got a lump in your throat like tonsillitis When the flags go up like everyone is righteous Spending government checks sniffing up the white dust The previous generation wants to be just like us Fuck that shit, I'm trying to be like Mike was Drop the bias and you might survive this The mummy coming through to remind your highness I might just buy up my own fucking island Build a little bunker then wait for the timer Countdown to zero, day exploiting Every exploit in your internet sex toys in emitting vibrations through the ether Did you just come me either? We're lost at the right time Blindly following stars in the night sky Part of me might ride away with the prize fight Man versus everything else until the time's right Unleash the Kraken No wait, that was crack Fuck now everybody feeling all amped up Fucking like bunnies to the national anthem Ugly little shits eating up all our rhythm Mishandling the captions Who has the answer? Holding our attention for ransom Fed up with all the red tape and the boring template Like it matters if it's a blue or red state Charged every month and we can't even cancel Feeling distressed? Fuck it, kill the damsel Fuck gas, spread it like we're on some undead shit And pass the bitch around like a meme from Reddit In the beginning it was suggested that the mortality rate would be 5% And the numbers are so much higher We're not ready for the next epidemic so if your oxygen level falls too low and it cannot be kept up with just what we call nasal cannulas or rebreathing oxygen masks, if you can't get enough oxygen from that, then they will intubate the, the patient. Ten spaces.